this morning's lesson is going to be a little bit different in its design uh, and how we're going to, huh, do I have a student page? No. I'm just saying this is, the, yeah, it's just not the way I normally do it. But for some reason, Jerry's deal did not print off the red part, so I have a little bit different than yours on my phone. Anyways, um, the test, okay, I don't, I don't like tests. <laughs> I didn't do well in school for that reason. Okay, so we're going to get, we're going to tackle verse number seven, and then verses eight through eleven, we're going to um, discuss four different ideas. I don't want you to get too wrapped up in those, uh, looking at those until we get there. Um, <clears throat> so we'll start at verse number 7, okay? Verse number 7 says, What shall we say then is the law sin? May it never be. So we're going to stop right there. Um, <clears throat> as you can see on your paper, Paul uh, or Paul asked this question and statement made in verses what? Where do you think Paul, why do you think Paul makes this statement in verse number seven? What have we, what have we learned through Paul's writing? Um, how he, when he makes these statements, what have we learned through uh, up here until chapter seven? So Paul makes this statement, what shall we say then is the law of sin? What do you think he's referring to? Why do you think he makes this statement? If you back up to verses 5 and 6, someone want to read verse 5 and 6 of Romans 7. What is, what is that saying? Go ahead, Mike. Okay, so in verse number 5, if we took this by itself, verse number five, what does it say refer, uh, in refer, reference to sin and the law? What is that saying there? Okay. So while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were what? Aroused by the law. So this could give the indication that the law is what causes us to sin. Okay, so Paul is addressing that. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is the law the reason why we sin? Is the law push us to sin? All right, that's, that's the argument. Uh, not only is Paul addressing in those two verses, but something that Paul uh, was accused of by Jews. Uh, um, and this is what he's kind of um, heading off any... Uh, approach that he might have to this idea that the law is sin. So he makes this statement here in verse number 7, and then he comes back to it uh, in verse number 12 uh, and, and talks about it, and then hits it again in verse number 13 and kind of uh, sandwiches something in between uh, verse 7 and 12 and 13. So Paul's argument uh, is started in 7 and kind of ends really in verse 13. Um, and then he, he gives us some, some stuff to uh, chat about here in verses 8 through 11. Okay, So just so that we're all on the same page is where, why Paul, Paul's not just randomly saying, what then shall we say the law is sin? This is based upon what he said specifically in there in verse number five, talking about the law has caused, you know, the sinful lust were aroused in us by the law. So making sure um, he identifies that what shall we say then? Is the law sin? And then again, we remember this emphatic statement of may it never be is uh, made in a way that is absolutely 100% never, no way. It's a very, uh, if we can even use the word, aggressive way of saying no, that the law 
is not sin. Okay, and we can see in verses numbers or chapter six and verse one and chapter six and verse fifteen, he says this. He has the same approach, talking about verses previous. Okay, verses one of chapter or verse one of chapter six, he says, "What shall we then? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so grace may abound?" Okay, so, and we, obviously we've gone over that, but that was in reference to what he had said earlier in chapter 5. And then he does the same thing in verse number 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Okay, and he says the same thing in verse number 2 of chapter 6. May it never be. So, he's constantly throwing out uh, an objection that we might have, and then immediately uh, uh, rebuttals and says, absolutely not, okay? So uh, here your points are, the, you know, he throws out a question. The question is what? What, it, what? what is the question Paul gives here in verse some number seven? Is the law sin? So that's your question. His answer is what? May it never be. So this is really easy, right? Okay? And then he gives an example, okay? And his example here is, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I uh, would not have known about what? Covetousness, coveting, if the law had not said, you shall not covet, okay? So we're going to talk about this little example that Paul gives here, and he, he goes into it more uh, in verses, uh, in verse 8 and so on, but we're going to talk about it just for a minute. Why do we believe Paul brings out the idea of covetousness? What, you know, there's 10 different commands in the, in the law of Moses uh, that we see brought down from Mount Sinai. So what, what would make Paul... Um, point to this specific one, um, and we don't really know 100% uh, because it's not stated. So when we look at the law of covetous, and when we get down deeper in the other verses, it says that it produced every kind of uh, evil deed, okay? In verse number 8, but sin taking opportunity through the commandments produced in me covetousness of every kind. Okay, and we'll get into that here in a minute. But um, covetousness, what, if, if someone were to explain to me what is uh, covetousness, what, 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 be, what would be the way you would explain that to someone? Desiring something that's not yours. Okay, so what are the, some of the commandments that that would... Uh, be able to follow in. What? How does the covetousness and other commandments? How how would those overlap? And I'm not sure if I'm making sense in this, but if we covet um, another man's wife, what are we doing? Stealing. Well, if we take it, we're stealing. But if we just covet, we're. What does Jesus say? If if you desire a woman in your heart, you what? You've committed adultery, so, you know, that's, that's there. Okay, we don't want to do that. That would be wrapped up in, into that. When you look at if I'm coveting another man's, um, let's say his truck or something that he has in that way, and I really, really want that truck, that's putting that truck above what? God, and it's making it an idol. No. As long as it's not a Dodge, yes. Dodges cause very, very much idol worship, and so... It's better to drive a Chevy, then you don't have to worry about that. So. <laughs> oh, boy. So, what's that? Or fabric, yes. Yeah, anything that we would desire, right? Uh, for me, it could be horses. Anything that I would covet, you know, I was at a horse show yesterday competing, and if I'm like desiring and coveting another man's animal or a woman's animal and, and wanting it to be mine to the point where that's all I'm thinking about. It's putting that possession of whatever it might be 
uh, on a higher plane than God and makes an idol out of it. And so you can kind of see where uh, a person could say, uh, I struggle with covetousness means I struggle with just about breaking every part of the law. Just about every part of the law is broken with that one commandment, the Tenth Commandment. Okay, So he brings this analogy in here. Now, <clears throat> this I, I really want us to put our thinking caps on today. Okay, We're going to read um, verses 8 through 11. Okay, What I want you to do, there are four different viewpoints, as you can see on your paper. The first viewpoint that I want you to read this in. Okay, So lock your mind into this viewpoint and see if you could say, I agree with this viewpoint by reading this text. Okay, The first one is Paul is speaking in, refer, in, in reference of Adam. Okay? In figurative speaking, using himself in, in this words, okay, this is a legit viewpoint, uh, and I'm not going to make the case until the very end which one I'm kind of falling towards, okay? Um, these are just four through my studies uh, that I've seen, all right? So I want us to read through this, but I want you to read through it in the lens of Paul is referring to Adam in this, Okay? So someone read verses 8 through 11, again, with the lens that Paul is referring to Adam. Okay, this is just one viewpoint. Right there, that's good. Oh, sorry. Nope, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I'm just... Okay. So this is uh, one of the viewpoints is this is speaking of Adam, okay? So where do we think we could get that viewpoint in this? Where, where do you think Paul, you know, and again, this is different theologians saying this is what I believe Paul is referring to. So do, does anyone see or would agree with that statement? Okay. Okay. Is there any other thoughts on do we do we view, view this as a valid viewpoint of what Paul is is getting after here? And I said this was going to be a little different lesson. Okay. Uh, so I want a lot more uh, interjection from you guys. Okay. Okay. Right. Right. Because Adam was alive and was going to live forever until he ate the fruit. Okay. So we can see it. I'm going to go, I'm going to shoot straight with you. I don't believe it's correct. <laughs> okay. I don't believe it's talking about it. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that we we're aware. Okay. The other three. I'm not going to tell you which I agree, but I'm going to come straight forward and tell you I don't believe this is referring to Adam. The specific reason for that is because Paul is referring specifically to the law of Moses here. Okay, So what Jessica said is, is right there. Uh, you have some references that you can try to tie, and then obviously Paul, in, you know, back in, in Romans 5, is referring to... Um, Moses, okay, if we want to look at um, in Romans 5, verses number 12, verse, verse 12, 13 and 14, therefore just as through one man's sin, who would that be? Adam. So it's not uncommon for Paul to use Adam as illustrations, entered into the world and death through sin. So there again, once we are alive, but now death through sin. And so death spread to all men because of sin. For until the law, sin was not in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had sinned in the likeness, or had not sinned in the likeness 
uh, of the uh, offense of Adam, which is referring to going against God's law of not eating the fruit, who is a type of him who's to come. And so I can see where a theologian might take chapter 5 and apply that into chapter 7 and say, you know, this is what it's at. Um, I would disagree on the basis of Paul is referring to the Mosaic law, not the, God, not the law given to specifically to, to Adam, because how would that apply to us, right? Plus, Paul is referring to the law, and how do we know he's referring to the Mosaic law? How do we know that in these verses, that he is specifically referring to the Mosaic law? Okay, he gives a specific commandment, right? You shall not covet. Okay? Now, the theologians could go back and say, well, they coveted the fruit. Yes, but that wasn't a law given that you shouldn't covet at that time. Um, it's capitalized in some areas and it's not in others in mine. So, yeah, for the law... Um, Yeah. Right. It's going to be the Mosaic Law. Okay? So, anyways, that is a theory out there. Um, one of the reasons why I want to bring... I could have brought out what I think is most... But what's good is for us to know that there is other theories out there and understand maybe where they're coming from. And it helps us be better Bible students, saying, okay, I can see where they're coming from. Do I? Can I refute that? So... Is anyone in here convinced that from what we've read in verse chapter 5 and what we, is anyone convinced that if I were to stand up here, let me, let me ask it in this way, if I were to stand up here and say this is what this is talking about, would any of you say I disagree? Would you stop me and say I disagree, I don't believe that that's what this is talking about? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Right. Yeah, it could, yeah. But in reference, this is spe specifically talking about the Mosaic Law. We know that because it talks about coveting, which is the 10th commandment and the Mosaic Law. Okay? So that's one way we know for 100% that it's talking about uh, that specific mosaic law, okay? All right, so uh, is anyone here convinced that this is talking about Abraham, or uh, uh, that Adam? No, all right, good, I've done my job. <clears throat> it's not, okay? Now these next three, we can, we can discuss, okay? Now I want you, we're going to read it again. In the eyes of Paul is speaking on humanity as a whole. Okay? Not, respeak, not speaking about himself, but he's speaking of humanity uh, and, and generalizing. He's using I terms, but he's speaking of humanity as a whole. Okay? So let's read, and we're going to read this four times, so we'll get very familiar with it. So someone else read 8 through 11. In the lens of this is speaking to humanity. Okay, so give me some discussions. Do we do? How do we feel about Paul is referring to humanity just in general terms here? He's using personal pronouns, but talking about just humanity as a, as a group of people. Works well? Okay. What do we think? Do we think that this is a, a, a valid viewpoint of this passage? Do we believe that... The reason I'm bringing th this out too is sometimes Scripture isn't 100% clear. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> and this is one of those... Uh, times and so it's good for us to see what are scholars debating over and what are, what are they thinking about and how do they come to this conclusion so how would we come to the conclusion that this is 
speaking more widely spread about just humanity as a whole, how would we come to that conclusion? Yes, ma'am. So about humanity, okay. If we go back to uh, the beginning of Romans, uh, specifically um, Romans 1, okay. Uh, Romans 1 talks about how humanity knew God's law. Uh, if we read verse 32, Romans 1, 32, what does that say? Okay, so what does it say at the beginning part of that? And although they knew what? The ordinances of God. This is before the law. Okay, then this is talking about humanity as a whole. It says that they're, um, that they're without excuse in uh, verse number 20, that they know what is right from wrong um, because the law is written on their hearts. And that's, that's really what Paul is getting at in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and in chapter 3 is that humanity is without excuse because the law is written upon their hearts. Okay, And, and so... Uh, how so understanding Paul has said that in earlier passages how would we if I came to you with only this viewpoint would you struggle with that saying mm, I'm not 100% sure that fits this section or how would you refute that really wanting your thinking caps on today this is this is it, refute the statement because what the statement of uh, Paul is speaking of humanity as a whole that's just man's thoughts of what Paul is saying so we can refute that not refute what's being said in the in the passage but do we believe that Paul in this section of verses is speaking generally about humanity so you would um, you would disagree with that statement then. Is that what you're... Okay. All right. Does anybody, uh, would anyone in here say, I could easily fall and say, I agree with the humanity, Paul is re referring to humanity viewpoint. So if that was the only viewpoint it brought, you would leave, go home, and feel confident that it was taught uh, the best to the best to understanding of that passage. You would feel okay with if that was the only viewpoint brought out. Okay, and and again, the, you can see it, but maybe that wouldn't be your first thought as reading, right? That's not the first conclusion you would come to. Uh, as a Bible student, is this is talking about humanity as a whole, okay? Good. Very good, Joe. Okay, that was a good conclusion. He's speaking to a sp specific group of people in, in this section, okay? So... Any other comments on that section as far as humanity as a whole? Joseph? Some did. Because the, the Romans uh, were made up of Gentiles and Jews. So if you remember, uh, as I stated uh, in earlier, uh, in, in verses... Um, 15 through 23, Paul is, uh, chapter 6, is, uh, is kind of talking about what? Antinomianism, right? You remember I, I stated that last week, which is the understanding of we don't have to live under the law at all. That would be primarily a Gentile or a Greek or uh, a non-Jewish viewpoint. I don't need the law. I'm free from the law. I no longer have to live under the law so I can live however I want. Okay, that's what Paul is speaking to there in 15 through 23, uh, really 15 through 22. And then Paul picks up in chapter 7, speaking to a Jewish group that would be more legalistic in their viewpoint and, and really want to overextend on 
living out every letter of the law, okay? And again, we talked about that last week. So, yeah, so all through Romans, you're going to have, and even through when we look at Romans 1 through 3, he refers to different groups of people, referring to Gentiles, referring to Jews, and, and so he ties both cultures of that church into his letter. So he hits all of them. He's not just speaking to Jews, and he's not just speaking to Gentiles. He, he hits both throughout the letter. Okay? With the humanity viewpoint, is that what you're saying? With that humanity viewpoint? Okay. <laughs> and again, this is this is good for us to struggle with, to look at. Um, but that is a viewpoint, and like I said, I'm not going to tell you which one I fall on until we get at the end. All right, because I don't want to persuade anyone. All right. All right. So the next one, which Reading the text is, seems the most logical because it's saying I and me, right? So this is a biography of Paul, okay? Um, but we don't, we don't want to be, we want to make sure we still read it in, in that lens, which will be really easy because <laughs> it says I and me, all right? So let's read it one uh, another time based upon viewing this as this is Paul speaking about himself, okay? So 8 through 11 again. Okay, so uh, I will tell you that this is the most commonly understood uh, position took on this passage, Okay. Most commonly understood, most people would, uh, most theologians, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try to persuade you on what I believe, uh, I'm, just tell, I'm just giving you through the studies, most theologians, most people fall into this category of belief, okay? I'm pretty sure that if this is the only one I brought this morning, there would be very little if no argument, right? It'd be hard to argue the fact that it's talking about Paul himself because he says, I, me, and so on and so forth, okay? So some things that we want to do to analyze this. Um, is there anything that pops out to you here that would say, maybe this doesn't make sense that this is referring to Paul and his personal testimony? Is there anything in here that might cause you to pause and say, Hmm, maybe this isn't referring specifically to Paul and his personal testimony. He's just using these phrases, as Paul often does. Um, one of the theologians, or men that I uh, read and listen to, um, before he even got into teaching this, referred back to Peter, where Peter says, Paul is confusing. <laughs> okay, so uh, this could be one of those times uh, that we could put this in here, all right? Paul can be sometimes confusing in the way that he writes. So, because it seems so clear, maybe what we need to do is look at this passage and see, is there any way that we can view this and say, do we struggle at all with what, do we struggle at all if this is a uh, biography of Paul's life? Do we see anything in there that we might shake your head? Okay, so. All right, so let's read through this maybe verse by verse and see if there's anything said in here that might cause us to pause and say, is Paul speaking primarily about himself here? And. When I, when I say that, he's speaking primarily about himself. He's using himself as an example of, you know, the way we all are. But he's speaking of himself here. Okay. Um, but sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me covetous of every kind. Apart from the law, sin is dead. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Okay. So don't really have any issues there. Okay. I was once alive apart from the law, 
But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Good, okay. That caused me to pause too. And again, I'm not telling you where I've fallen, so, but, um, yeah, so what, what, what's, your, what's your struggle there with that? What do you think he's meaning by that? What do you think he means by that? And it's hard to know. If we viewpoint it, if we're viewing it as this is Paul's speaking of himself, what would we think that Paul is getting at here? Yeah, very good. If you don't, if you don't know you're sinning, uh, you feel alive. You feel free. You feel carefree, right? I did, you know, the, the people that are not under the law, are, you know, before we were saved, uh, those of you that might have been saved at a later date in life, uh, did you go to bed every night convicted of your sin? Right. Yeah. You were free. You were, you were alive. You, didn't, you, weren't, you weren't living in bondage to uh, this sin. You were living in bondage to sin, but you're, you were not cognizant of that understanding of, I'm dead to sin. Yeah, and and we see that again, you know, in verse or chapter five, where I read in verse thirteen, until the law, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law, which means we are not charged of the. You know, there was no law, so uh, we were still under sin. We still committed sin. But we lived carefree uh, in, in that aspect. And so, I was once alive. I once was skipping down the road. No issues. La-dee-da-dee-da. Life is wonderful for me. Um, right? So, some, some theologians take the view, Paul is, if the ones that fall into this autobiography, Paul is speaking of himself before the age of accountability, uh, you know, as a young person, so on and so forth. Um, yeah, that's where, you know, so once, you know, before Paul knew the law, all right, this is not referring to when, the, you know, in this section of the, you know, before the law had come, but before uh, Paul knew the law, which we understand, we know, the, the, we know Paul's testimony, right? He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Jew of Jews. He was a master of the law. Paul knew the Old Testament. He knew it better than most people would know it. Okay, And so when it says, I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. So when he became aware of covetousness, that's, it's going back to that, because he brings it up again. Um, wow, it, it's, this is where you kind of get, hmm, where, what is Paul really talking about? Is he talking about his adolescence, before salvation? Um, can, we, can we be, you know, are we convicted of sin through the law before salvation? That would be another question. Are we convicted of sin because of the law before salvation? So, before you were saved, you were convicted of sin by God? No, God, well, but that was in, in the time that He brings you to Himself, yes. But if you, how old were you when you were saved, Joe? You remember? Were you young? 40s. Okay, so you lived 40 years before you were saved. In the 40 years previous, did you, do you remember times where you were just utterly convicted of your sin and utterly drawn down and just beaten up by your sin? 
but that was when you were 40, right? So before that, you weren't because you were dead. In your, in your life, you were not brought alive, and you were in bondage to that sin, and that sin is what totally encompassed you, and we were perfectly happy there. Well... Because the law is written on their heart. Because the law, right. So if somebody abuses a child, people unsaved or saved know that that's wrong. Right. So, you know, we, we see um, child abuse or even um, abortion and those type things. People know that it's wrong. Uh, as unsaved, but a lot of people, well, they, they just shrug their shoulders. Well, you know, it's wrong. But there's no call to action. There's, and apart from the law, you know, and the law is written on their hearts to tell them that it's wrong. They know that it, the what they've done is wrong because that's what it says in Romans. But there are a lot. The the statement here, "I was once alive apart from the law," is giving that understanding of. The law didn't weigh me down. The law didn't convict me. The law didn't give me this sense of guilt every day in my life. I was alive. I was free from the law. I didn't know the law. Okay, if you're, <laughs> if the law, um, let me see what would be a law that we would commit that if it wasn't a law we'd be happy to do. The theft, yeah. So if there if the if there wasn't a law that says you shouldn't steal, there was no law on that, we would be happy. Mike would be very happy to come steal my Dodge truck. Okay. If that wasn't a law, if we weren't gonna be prosecuted for stealing, um you'd be fine. I mean that, why not? I want what you have, I'm gonna take it. Shoplifting. Well, I want to. I want to make sure that we understand what I mean by happy is not that life is. We live in a sin-filled world, and your life isn't going to be happy apart from Christ. What I'm getting at is we did. We don't. There's no law that says you shouldn't steal. It's not written down, so you're free to do. You're free to steal all you want. You're carefree. I'm just going to go plunge and uh, you know steal TVs or whatever I want because it makes me happy, and I'm not going to feel guilty about it because there's no law to tell me to feel guilty. Right? If there's no law that says that's wrong, then why would it be wrong for me to go do it? So I'm alive. I'm free to do whatever I want. But when the law comes in. Sin increased it. The knowledge of sin. The understanding of sin. Was it wrong all along to steal? Absolutely. Because where do we see the law? The law says thou shalt not steal, right? So before Mosaic law, was it okay to steal? No. <laughs> it was never okay to steal. It was still wrong. But the knowledge of that sin came through the law. Same thing with what he's bringing out with covetousness. Um, and we can get really muddled into this, but verse number nine gives that's where I kind of had to use my you know a lot of studying thoughts and understanding what is what is verse nine saying as far as I was once alive. If you fall into this is Paul's biography, you would have to say this is when Paul was younger before he understood the law and, and so on. But Paul was an older man before he came to know Christ, uh, and uh, the law had not impacted his heart until salvation, right? And so uh, this would be, you'd have to say, alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. This would be the true understanding of the law and sin upon a Christian's heart. Because apart from that, 
uh, an unsaved person wouldn't be, wouldn't look at it the same. Of himself, sorry. Himself. I speak into my computer, and sometimes it says what it wants to say. <laughs> so, yeah, it's himself. All right, so let's get into this last one, okay? Paul is speaking of Israel in relationship to the law. You can't see that at all? Okay. Why? Okay. Okay. So let's look at it, but again, we've viewed it in three different views, so let's try in our mind to erase those viewpoints, okay, and read it in relationship to this is speaking to Israel, okay? <laughs> it's really hard to do, all right, but this is what we need to do. So just in verse number nine, okay? Let's just read verse number 9 there and see, can we see how this could apply to Israel? Maybe 9 and 10. Yeah, okay. On, well, he is a Jew, okay? Paul's a Jew. Could read, you know, this is, and again, this isn't my thoughts. This is, okay? I was once alive apart from the law. Going back to chapter 5, Paul says that they were not held accountable, the Jews were not held accountable under the law. That's what it says there in 5.13. Okay? They were not imputed. So they were not imputed. So once I was alive, once Israel was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. So when the Israelites were brought the Mosaic law, they realized that that was alive, sin was alive in their life, and they became dead and understood the gravity of their sin. I was once, al uh, no, sorry, and the commandment, which was uh, to be um, uh, result in life proved to result in death when you look at the, the and when the commandment which was result uh, was to result in life proved to result in death when we understand what is the purpose of the law god brought the law to reveal sin but there's there's two thoughts on this two different viewpoints one is that if you live the law perfectly you have life the other is, when you obey God's law, your life, is to, your life will be well. Your life will have, uh, you, you will live a good and prosperous life obeying the law of God. Okay, so it brought life into their lives. But when we look at the Israelite nation as a whole, what did we mostly see of them? They did not live by the law, and thus they were constantly in captivity and bondage, and constantly be under judgment. So, am I getting? Are you getting to where you can get this understanding now? That that, and I'm not trying to convince you. Okay. You definitely call me out on this one, huh? Wow, you go. Good. And I hope, you know what, I, I, in t telling my class here today, I hope, you know, I, I, I'm, all three of the pastors here are very confident in the way we teach. But I hope that in a class setting like this, I would never do it in Sunday morning service if the pastors, uh, if one of the pastors is saying something you don't agree with, don't get up and charge the pulpit, okay? But in a classroom setting, yes, if you are saying, I don't really agree at all, Mark, with what you're saying, feel free. I'm not above making mistakes. I'm not above saying things that might be an error, okay? I, I try really hard to study and to make sure um, that I don't do that. 
but good. So you would fall in the middle two, you would be okay with either one. Okay? Okay? Really, in essence, you could probably smash the two together. Doesn't make sense that Paul's talking about himself and not. Yeah, okay. okay. But this, I think this was a really good study for us and I'm going to we're just we're going to read verse number 12 and I'm going to leave 13 uh, for next week we'll go 13 through uh, wherever we can get to because I don't tend to (laughs) get them all okay Paul yes ma'am yes but there's there's a people group that it's written to and so we want to be careful that we don't, yes, yes, we can view this and read this and it is helpful for us. And Book of Romans is very insightful and very helpful for us. But when we read Scripture, we want to know who is Paul writing to? Why is he writing to that person? So on and so forth. And be careful that if, you know, the Scripture is written for us to edify us, for us to learn from, but we want to take, we want to be careful that we don't read the Old Testament and apply the promises given to Israel as those are my promises, okay? So that's where we have to be careful when reading Scripture and saying it all applies and it's all for me, because that's not always true. And so when we read through the book of Romans or anywhere in the New Testament, Old Testament, we got to know who he's talking to. There are sections that do apply to us. There are sections that don't. All of his, all of his good and helpful for us to learn. But knowing, you know, and that's where Bible study, coming to church and learning from Bible teachers, you're doing your own study is very important. Don't just read it and say, you know, because, you know, a, a very famous verse is used, uh, especially in America, is if my people will humble themselves and call upon God. That's a great verse that's talking about Israel. If Israel will humble themselves and call upon God, he will heal their land. It's not talking about America. Yeah, it's a good verse. We can apply it that we need to humble ourselves and turn back to God. But the promise is that he'll heal his land. And that's talking about Israel. It's not talking about America. But often we see people that want to say, ah, see, if if America will return back to God, God will heal and well, he might, but that was a specific promise given to Israel. Okay. So, um, I fall on the, this is Paul's autobiography. Okay. Um, I did struggle a little bit with the Israel aspect in my study because the person that was explaining it did a really good job, probably a lot better than I did. Um, and and I, I had to wrestle with it. I'm still wrestling with it in my mind. But if I were to uh, preach this passage, it would be based upon Paul. And and I think so because when you get into next week's lesson, when Paul starts talking about I don't do the things that I should do, it's really hard to tie that back into Israel did what they didn't want to do. You really have to do a lot of making Scripture say something unintentional. So, and that's what we want to be really careful that we don't do. We don't say this is Adam dogmatically. We don't say this is Israel dogmatically. Um, we can say relatively dogmatically that this is Paul because it says I, me. Okay? So, and by that we can attend, uh, take the view that this is Paul and we need to see what he's saying and view those uh, all what he's saying through here that sin, um, that the law is not the cause of sin in our lives. The law, what Mike brought out here just a minute ago, is the law, uh, the law is like the mother's that says, don't touch the stove. Okay, if she probably never said, don't touch the stove, there's a good chance that they might not have touched the stove. 
But since you said don't touch the stove, I'm going to go touch the stove, or I'm going to go whatever, play. Don't go outside and roll in the mud. They're going to go outside and roll in the mud because that's what, you know, they're going to defy what the law is given because that is the sinful heart of humanity. And that's what Paul is saying. And we'll, we'll touch on uh, verse number 13, which really, but Paul, really between 7 and 12, he says, um, is the law sin? May it never be. And then he, he ends his conclusion of saying, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And then he explains that in verse 13, but we don't have enough time today, so we'll, we'll get in that today, uh, next week uh, and verses following. Okay, So today might have been a little bit more of a, a, a different type of lesson, but it's good for us to know there's different thoughts out there, and good Bible students will hear those thoughts and say, it should trigger thoughts in your mind and say, I don't agree with that. I don't, you don't want to be the Bible student that sits in the classroom and allows the teacher to say whatever he wants and say, oh, that must be what it is. You don't want to be that Bible student. Okay? And you don't want to be the argument combative Bible student either that fights everything the teacher says. Okay? But if you have a disagreement, Feel free to come talk to me, Tyler, Jeremy, uh, about anything we say. And if we can't back it up uh, scripturally, uh, then there's a problem there, okay? But I wanted to bring that out to make us think about the different viewpoints and say, hmm, I don't agree with that, and this is why, okay? And we want to be able to be Bible students that say, I don't agree with that, and this is why. Not just, I don't agree with that, because that's a really poor argument, you just tell somebody, I don't agree with that, and they say, why? You say, because well, I don't. It's a bad argument, okay? Huh? Why not? Because I don't. Well, okay. It's like arguing with a five-year-old, right? Okay? All right. I'm going to get in trouble if I don't close. Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you for these Bible students in this class, Lord. And we had a good discussion of your word. And Lord, I pray that we would continue this throughout your book of Romans, that we would be edified and strengthened together in it. In your name, amen.